The information presented is in no way to be considered as a standard of care, and the content of this podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnoses, or treatment. The information is provided with no guarantee. All content is for informational purposes only and does not constitute providing of medical, legal, or regulatory advice. Hey everybody, welcome to this edition of Blue Crew Medicine. This morning we've got Emily Wells and Lauren Russell, two of our neonate nurses. Uh, We're here to talk about a little bit about neonates um, and babies and how you take care of them, some of the basics. We're not going to go too far down a rabbit hole, hopefully, although knowing us it could very easily. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk a little bit about neonates. So defining a neonate is 28 days or less. Anything else you want to add to that besides just the basic definition? Y'all take care of these things every day. Been doing it for how long now? 12 years. 12? 11 for me. No, then that's not right for me. Yeah. Then I'm 10 years. So when you talk about when we talk about babies, a lot of people get really nervous when they see, okay, we're going to have an at-home delivery or they're delivering an outside hospital that's not, doesn't have a NICU or doesn't have a neonatologist, doesn't have a pediatrician, somebody trained to take care of babies. Mm-hmm. Everybody gets really, really worried about the baby itself and everything else. Biggest thing or one of the biggest things I wanted to make sure we talked about this morning is most babies are fine. Most babies don't need they a whole are- lot. Yeah, they are. Less is more. Less is more. It's always going to be our motto with babies. Like, yes, we do know how to do the full, all the codes and all the things and resuscitate when they really are truly devastated. But the likelihood of actually having to do that is very small. And truly, less is more with these babies. If you know the very basics of them, all these babies are going to be okay. The other thing I wanted to mention is a lot of people will get harped on all these certs and having NRP and all this other stuff. NRP doesn't change. Now, there's a couple things we're going to talk about, but has, NRP really hasn't changed in several years. So if you don't get an opportunity to get it, because it's kind of hard to get, right? It is. I mean, well, it is, but we're hoping to make that more accessible because it is an important certification to have and it's important knowledge to have, especially if you're going to be exposed to babies. It's really important to know the basics and that a lot of times you're not going to be able to get that without a program like NRP. So... But yeah, the program itself hasn't truly changed that much. There's some fine-tuned tweaks that have been made over the years with stuff that they know that has changed or that they know that works a little bit better for these kids, but the basics are still the same of it. It is very simple. You just control the airway. You just control the respirations for them, and as long as you can do that, the babies will be fine. So when we talk about these babies that are born at home or born outside of a level four NICU or what have you, a lot of people honestly... Straight up honest. In paramedic school, we talked about APGARs. We had a quiz on APGARs, and then I never saw them again until I went and took the FPC. How important are APGARs for y'all, especially in downstream care? Do they matter? Um, yeah, yes and no, I guess. It just kind of depends on your situation, I would say, um, because they're subjective. What you see and what I see might be different. I've been working with these babies for 11, almost 12 years, so I might, where I might give a, Eight, you might be like, oh, that's a six. <laughs> so yes and no. It's important when you talk about things like a truly devastated baby who might need cooling therapy or something like that. That kind of plays in. But if you don't get a 100% right, there's so many more things that can that can take you down that route. Biggest thing is recognizing sick or not sick, right? Yeah, so right. if it, you have a <clears throat> devastated, I like that word. Y'all use devastated a lot. If it's a truly devastated baby or stunned baby, that's a problem versus a baby that's relatively fine or normal yeah and with the apgars what it can do is it can help once you get good practice with it like lauren saying you know if you've done you've done it for a lot of years you can her and i are probably going to assign the same apgars so yeah it does help because then when someone like lauren is assigning apgars and she says well the apgars were 
10111 or whatever, however you may get there, that's going to really matter when it takes it comes to taking care of that baby in the NICU or further down. But now if you have someone who hasn't had the chance to be able to assign APGARS or if they're still learning, so well, APGARS are 8 and 9, but we did chest compressions for five minutes, then to me, there's a disconnect. So, But the hope for us and the hope with what some of the education that we've been able to do is to kind of break or fix that disconnect and kind of get people all on the same page because like she said it does matter but then in the grand scheme of things does it yes no but our hope is that they can kind of get all like us and be able to be confident with it and comfortable with it and um, that really just does come with more education and more repetition with it. Some of the things I think about with APGARS is it's a in the moment way to remember how to assess a neonate. Mm -hmm. It's an in-the-moment way of, hey, I haven't touched any in a couple of years. I've been working on the truck, and I now I have a spontaneous delivery at home. All right, let me go off and check this box and say, all right, these things are the important things as far as looking at a baby and make sure they're not stunned or they don't need that resuscitation. They don't need some kind of, whether it's, you know, CPAP or respirations or whatever, real out recognizing sick or not sick. It's just a, it's here to help you as a guide. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's accurate. That is, because... If someone, you know, you never have as many people as you really want in a big bad situation with anybody. I think like when you have an adult that's down and devastated or you have a kid or a baby, you never have enough hands. But in the perfect world, when you have enough hands, if you do have someone who's available at that time who's not able to be hands on with a baby, that's a great thing to assign them to do because it can help. Um, it's almost like having someone running the code and that's as important. Like, okay, a minute's been up since you gave your last dose of epi or whatever. So that would be the ideal situation. It's not realistic because there's never enough people um, in those situations. But yeah, it is It is a good way to be able to help guide you. and Use that person as like a 10,000 foot view to kind of just say, all right, this is what the overall picture, this is what's going on, this is where we're at, this is where we're, mm -hmm. where we're working towards. Mm -hmm. Some little tricks I just wanted to ask you all, when you think of the top of your head, how do you know when a baby's not okay? Like what, when you walk up to a baby and you, that's in an outside hospital or you meet them somewhere in the truck or wherever you guys are, how do you go, oh, this is sick? What What's some things that just immediately pick off the top of your head? I'd say with our babies, the number one thing is respiratory. So that's the first thing you're going to notice. You walk in and you hear them grunting, we need something. And a lot of people, you know, mistake grunting for, oh, they're crying. That's so cute. It's not. It is SOS. Yeah. <laughs> not cute. <laughs> not, not cute. So a baby, when I walk in, that's, yeah, you know, pretty good retractions, is grunting, um, those that baby's not well. That baby needs something. Anything else? I mean, well, because for us, color is going to change later. Yeah. Like so, it is. It really does. Truly, babies present respiratory a lot of the times um, quicker than anything else. You're not going to lose. I mean, if you're looking for it and if you're just like hands on the baby all the time, but really, you're not going to be like, oh, the pulses are diminished, but everything else is okay. Or you're not going to say, oh his activity is a little off and then he falls apart respiratory wise that's usually not the case right. usually you'll have an active little baby who's kicking and screaming but pulling to their backbone when they're breathing so yeah respiratory for us is really how we can tell um and then sometimes instinct yeah i mean you may look at a baby and they're actually like to the everybody else in the room they're like oh he's fine he's fine we have him on cpap but people feel like he's fine but it's just I swear it's something about their eyes. It's I know, like, I look agree. Up like, oh, you don't feel good. Uh-huh, uh-huh, because they can't tell us. Yeah. And um, their vital signs are always so subtle when they change. It's never... Mm -hmm. They're good until they're not. Yeah. Like, they will compensate and compensate until they can't. Mm -hmm. 
And when they can't, it is done for. Because you don't lose blood pressure. I mean, you'll that's later down the line. Right, too. like late. Mm-hmm. So it is kind of instinct. It's kind of experience. And then it's also just respiratory. So another thing I think of when I talk about these babies, um, y'all mentioned respiratory. The sucking to the backbone is like that big thing. The other thing I notice is like the shallow breathing. The ones that are just like kind of guppies, not the right word, but they're just shallow. They're right. Oh, well, the rate's right. They're breathing 40, 50 times a minute. Oh, the rate's totally, totally normal, right? That's where it should be. But they're not even like they're barely moving their chest and you can tell they're not really moving a whole lot of air and not a lot of, a whole lot of gas exchange going on. Do you all sit there and look at the chest rise and fall? Is that something that yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. truly is a big deal as far as assessment? Oh, yeah. That's one of the first things we do before we ever, you know, touch them, try to listen or anything like that is just look at them. Look at how they're breathing, their color, like all those things. Just give them a minute before you ever start manipulating them because you start messing with them, they're going to start getting active. So that's really the very first thing we do is just get a good look before we ever touch them or do anything. That's another important thing to talk about. You you look at them before you start playing with them. Now, obviously, if you catch a baby at home, it's a little bit different. You're probably going to be holding them or giving them right to mom. But right. if you walk into an outside hospital and you're assessing this kid, take a second and look at them before you start messing with them. Mm-hmm. The second you put that stethoscope on the baby, what are they going to do? They're immediately, I mean, it's stethoscope it's cold. Gonna be cold. It's yeah. cold. Doesn't yeah. matter, yeah, doesn't matter if you kept them yeah. isolate. Yeah. It's going to be cold. Yeah. Yeah. It's colder than off. what they are. Yeah. So they're they're immediately going to shun in. A lot of times they do that whole like it looks almost like posturing, but like they just suck in everything and they're like, oh, it's a tingling. I hate that. I hate that. I hate that. I hate that. Get that off of me. Yeah. And so you make sure you look at the kid before you do that and figure out where they are, because like like you said, Lauren, as soon as you stimulate them, they're going to try to rebound, reback, and they're mm-hmm. they're going to increase their respiratory rate, increase their heart rate. Everything's oh okay, everything looks normal. And then you stop messing with them, let them chill, and they're just going to watch. They're slowly right. bump, 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 bump. As far as guessing a weight. Now, y'all are awesome. You have scales most of the time. Most of the time before we get somewhere, when I'm working with y'all, we know what the weight is or somebody's measured them. Is there an easy way for y'all to kind of like say, all right, everything's weight-based. Everything, everything based. pediatrics, whether it's neonates or above, there's all weight-based. Is there ways y'all use to kind of guess weight? I mean, yes and no. It's experience again, I think, with that. Um, you know, anytime that I feel like sometimes we get it right on the nose, and I'm like, oh, this baby's 583 grams, and up pops on the scale, 584, and it's like, oh, I'm close. And then other times it's that same baby, and I'm like, oh, yeah, he's 900 grams, so I'm way off. So, like, it's not really necessarily, like, a great way to, like, I don't think you can really truly look and, like, hit it on the nail, right. or the nail on the head. But I yeah. think if you can kind of at least know about what mom's gestation was, or, um, yeah, you can get pretty close. You can get close to the weight if you know the gestation. You know, and it may vary like by a hundred to two hundred grams, which is big on the yeah, smaller ones. But a big, a big jump in the in your you know twenty three to twenty six weekers if you're off by a hundred or two hundred grams. Oh, that's big. It's gonna that's be a, that's a lot. It's gonna be a lot when volume. you start talking about volume and meds and stuff. But mainly, if you can kind of just familiar yourself or familiarize yourself with what the normal weights are, like close to what the normal weights are for an estimated gestation, then you'll be on the nose. Like we know a 23-weeker is going to be about 500 grams. So if we're going to a delivery that doesn't have a place or a place where they don't have scales or anything like that, we'll estimate kind of just based off of what we know each gestation is. There's some great resources there on the internet too that kind of have good like tools of saying, how much is eight hundred or how much is a twenty-eight week or typically weigh? You can Google that really. I mean, yeah. if someone's saying, "Hey, I'm yeah, going for a, six months," yeah, you're in a bind. You're like, "Oh man, hit yeah. the Google machine." Yeah, hit the Google. I'll put some of those links in the show notes, guys, for y'all. But they're they're 
honestly that's what i use yeah. there's a there's a link I, yeah. I can't remember it off the top of my head but it literally says 26 weeks 28 weeks 30 mm-hmm. weeks 32 mm-hmm. weeks it doesn't do every week it's yeah. just every other and it it does pretty good yeah we use one for stork too that one that we've made that kind of just is like clear and concise and it's a that's based off of the 50th percentile for each baby so i mean it may get you close it'll get you it'll close yourself, but it'll, yeah, I mean, yeah you'll be pretty close but in a bind unless you're really comfortable with babies and knowing that like oh yeah 29 week or that's about like 1100 grams ish just look it up that's what i mean yeah. i'm not gonna lie when we're tired or if we're just really not but mm-hmm. i hit that just google machine yeah so when we talk about we've guessed the weight on this baby we figured out this baby it's at an outside hospital we realized hey this they're sucking all the way they're grunting they're sucking all the way back to their chest respiratory management on these kids talk about a little bit about nrp but basic airway management a lot of people when especially when you talk pre-hospital folks or even outside hospital they want to jump right to intubation mm. and or not. Let's, you know let's <laughs> let's let's talk a little bit about just basic airway management some of the stuff you do when you, especially when a kid just pops out you can just give them bagging for a few minutes and they do fine pressure yeah. i mean they that's babies need pressure so a baby who's in respiratory distress is not going to do well with just blow by or a little bit of nasal cannula they need CPAP they need that peep to help open up those alveoli so I think that's um, the main thing and but you have to use it in moderation too because you have to think these babies are freshly born I can't just throw CPAP immediately on them because then you're at risk of popping a pneumo which happens a ton especially with the bigger kids you would think it would be the smaller ones when you use CPAP um, but no those big those big babies babies. Mm mm-hmm the second you pop some CPAP on there. And if you're, if you don't have it just quite right on them, you will pop a pneumo, but anybody who's grunting or retracting, that's going to be pressure always and forever. CPAP always and forever. Um, I know that in some deliveries that we will go to, you'll get that 36 ish weaker who is just grunting and retracting. You can hold CPAP on that kid for about 20 minutes. And usually that's all he needs or he or she needs so if you just give them time to transition and let them kind of figure it out and support them through that, you don't have to get to the point of intubation. It really is less is more. So in that situation, if you just sit there, hold face mask CPAP on these kids, freshly delivered, mm-hmm. they'll usually turn around. Um, when you would transition to intubating those kids would be, you know, after like if you're sitting there for 30 minutes and they're just still grunting and tachypnic and you have really given them good chance with that CPAP. That's when we would maybe admit them to the NICU then and get an x-ray, see what you're looking with, and then they may or may not need some cure surf and intubation. But even then, that's not a lifetime of being on the ventilator. A lot of times you just intubate, give the surfactant, and take out the tube, and the babies are usually fine. So it's every baby's different, so it's hard to say, like, okay, a 36-weeker, X, Y, and Z, here's what you're going to do. Because that same baby, that same case, but in a different baby may need to be intubated right away because what you're doing is not going to work. So the main thing, if you can remember, um, with kids who are in respiratory distress is pressure. Peep a five to six, but start with five, less is more. <laughs> and then just give them a chance. I um, They don't all need intubated. Anybody in respiratory distress does not need intubated. Small babies do, though. Like a 23-weeker yeah. is going to require intubation. Um it's hard to hold a face seal anyway on that. I mean, when you start talking about something that's 500 grams, I mean, it's it's an art. I mean, it sitting is. there watching all day. Especially when you're out in, like, these rural hospitals who don't have nurseries or don't have whatever. They're working with limited equipment. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it really is hard for them to to do that. So. 
not even do you have the right size mask, but like, do you have the staff that can do that? Do you only have two people in there and you got one that's holding CPAP and one's running around like a chicken with their head cut off kind of thing, trying to do everything else they possibly can? But what's something that's changed is that they are trying to get away from intubating in the delivery room. Like the babies that we used to, it used to be five or six years ago, any 20, for sure, a 26-weeker was getting intubated in the delivery room. 26, 27, 28 weeks, you're getting intubated. Now it's transitioning. Sometimes some of these babies do not need intubated and um, bubble CPAP. Those babies get bubble CPAP and they'll sit there on bubble CPAP. They'll go down to the NICU, get in and out, cure surfed. And then transition right back to CPAP, and those babies do great. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's that part's evolving, which I think is great because these babies do so much better. But um, not everybody needs to be intubated. No. Little guys do. Again, yes, I stand by that. The 23-weeker needs to be intubated. Yep. But if you can intubate, CPAP or do PPV with the face mask. You and don't... if you do, you know, end up needing intubating, don't, I guess – continue to do it when you failed because you're just making that airway that much worse too. I mean, you're making it that much harder for the next person and that much harder on that baby because you're going to cause all that swelling and stuff. So if you do get to that point of intubation and it's just that tube's not going, you can always bag a baby. You can always continue to hold that CPAP or just face mask bag a baby mm-hmm. until, you know, someone else can get there who has a little more experience. These are these are one of those cases for me. It's set yourself up for success mm-hmm. the first time. Make sure you have all your ducks in a row. There have been very few cases in all the time I've get to work with y'all that we've rushed to intubate a baby. Right. Maybe right. like a handful. Right. Um, and those were, it was something respiratory that they needed it, some mm-hmm. weird case or something like that. Yeah, for us, if you just take your time with it. I mean, I think that's true for any, I guess, intubation with anybody. But I know... It might be different babies with adults. We can sit there and do PPV forever. Mm-hmm. And so if Lauren and I are going on a call and we get there and we're like, okay, this baby needs intubated, one of us takes over with the airway and just sits there and lets them remain on whatever they were on or maybe give them a little bit more support with the CPAP or whatever. And then you just take your time yep. gathering your stuff. Yep. Take get your everything time. you need. Mm-hmm. You don't have suction at the bedside. Wait just a minute. Let's get something. Mm-hmm. Like, because like you said, you want to set yourself up for success for that first attempt. Like you, you know, so take your time. Get everything that you're going to need so that you can. That neonatal airway is tough. And it's yep. not just because I don't, I mean, I talked about this before, but it's not because like we just think, oh, everything we do is hard and da 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 da. It's not that. It really is. Mm-hmm. Um, that one study I think I've talked about before, they, it was with 10 academic centers. So it's neonatal centers who, that's all they do, the delivery service. That is what they do with neonatologists and the neonatal fellows and neonatal nurse practitioners, the people who only do babies at these deliveries. And they were measuring what the first pass intubation rate was in the delivery room. And it's like 45%. And it's, that's, typical and it's because these airways are difficult and all that so you're only going to set yourself up for failure if you don't take your time and prepare yourself and that's not the reason why they're missing it that's just because these airways are difficult so you don't want to have an attempt because you weren't prepared also real quick on tube sizes and Mm -hmm. et tubes y'all use (laughs) I know you get mad at me when I bring out a cuff tube anymore. No, cuffed tubes. No, cuff <laughs> tubes. Even when I'm talking about pediatrics, and you're like, what is that? I don't want it. No, want please it. no. Which can be a challenge for us. So, like, we're using the Hamilton T1s now. They're a pressure-driven vent. You may require a little bit of additional pressure to get you the patient delivery pressure you want. In the event, T1s will compensate for that. But if you're using something that won't, 
Um, that's something to consider as well. It, these babies trying to use cuff tubes in them, you're going to cause a whole lot of problems yeah. downstream that you don't need. Mm-hmm. As far as ET tube sizes, the two as low as I've ever seen yeah. anybody carry. Yeah. Um, those are typically fine for the 500 grammers. And no. Well, yeah, even then, I mean, you, you want a two, five, yeah. two O tubes are so hard to manage. They are. You um, can't, you can't suction them. There's no, you know, catheters that'll go down that far. It's hard to get cure surf through them. They clog up. It's just, they're impossible to manage. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, you can get it in and you can give them ventilation through it, but that's it. Like they're mm-hmm. going to be so hard to manage. Mm-hmm. The likelihood of having them, like she said, plug off or having to be reintubated, and the trauma that is associated with intubation for those smaller babies is insanity. But the cuff tubes, the reasoning with that is less is more also. So we can deal with a little bit of an air leak because these babies are so little bitty. If you put a 3.0 in a kid and you inflate it, when really it just needed a three and a half maybe, um, and if you overinflate it, you're going to cause so much damage on these kids. Plus, a whole lot more likely to get a pneumo. Oh, if you okay. if you if you block it off where there's not an air leak, there's nowhere for that air to go. Ugh, I haven't even thought about that. <laughs> I mean, I have it. <laughs> I mean, I, it's it's just it's more yeah. pressure, right? It's a closed encapsulated yeah. space versus. Yeah. So we yeah little, we will you tolerate. You have a little wiggle room. We tolerate having air leaks as long as the baby's oxygenating and ventilating, as opposed to upsizing. Now, if a baby is decompensating or you're not ventilating or oxygenating. Yeah. We would still upsize the tube versus putting in a cuff tube just because, again, if I put a 3.5 in and I'm like, oh, i got an air leak. Let me fill up this cuff a little bit more. Ooh, the damage that you do with that. And then those babies end up with trachs. And mm-hmm. in the meantime, okay, yeah, I've got a great gas and I'm ventilating my baby. So in the moment, I'm yeah, happy. Yeah, so good right there. Yeah, but the but long-term damage yeah, that you can so cause with that. It's hard to those kids. Mm-hmm. And, and it just, it's hard to extubate a kid who's got a proper size tube. And yeah. a lot of times they have real bad strider afterwards. They have, they require steroids. They require uh, racemic epi when that's just because the physical tube's just in there. So I can't imagine putting in an un- or a cuffed and then yeah. real fast on tubes tube sizes what are the what are the tube sizes associated with weights for y'all just so because y'all can spit it off the top of your head like it's nothing no pressure it's not that it's the fact that like yeah you'll get a 1500 gram baby but you go look and it's like oh i can actually put a 3-0 yeah, or i can three in here or then... you go to look and it's like mm, that's a two and a half so mm-hmm. it's yeah, they. I mean, they do have like a weight. It's like less than a thousand grams. It's a two it's five. A two five. One to two is a three. Three to two. To, don't make me have to Google. Two to three is a three five, and above three is a four, something like that. Yeah. But yeah, you don't ever know. I mean, you can guesstimate. You know, oh, I think I can for this size baby. This should be this tube, and you get in there and you go, oh, well, that's a narrow airway, or that's a. I can get something bigger in there. It's just kind of. You know, depends. You don't ever want to get in there and have to shove, like... Never shove. Don't never, never no. corkscrew a tube in somebody, please. No. I feel like that shouldn't be for anyone. No, just probably. Maybe. Let the, me go. Uh, You're screwing that at me. Let me out. I'm out. <laughs> just let me go. It is my time to leave here. The biggest thing I want to take away from what y'all just said is you get in there, you look, it's just like anything else. You should have a tube size above or below. Oh, above and, and below. Yeah. And in these kids, I would even argue you may want to just have all of them go from... I mean, if you're going for a 500 grammer, you're not going to have a four out. Let's just be honest. Yes. Right. But yeah. if you're getting that, you know, that three grammer that may, hey, you look in there and somebody's going a couple times before yeah. you and intubated a couple times, like, 
hey, I, I, I'm i not fitting a three and a half right. in here. I may have to fit a two yeah. and a half in yeah, here. Yeah, you right. have to take that or, yeah. consideration too. If you've been tried to, someone's tried to intubate this baby six times already, you know, there's going to be some swelling around in there. So you're going to ha- may have to have a smaller size too. Yeah, we'll have both of them mm-hmm. available. I know that we've done that because you look and you're like, ugh, mm-hmm. that, ain't, that ain't going. Yep. And again, less is more. You don't want the perfect seal, the perfect fit. I'd rather have something that kind of, I, mean, I don't want an air leak, but I'm not. I don't want it. Yeah, to but that's not the end of the world. No, you I can, don't want a t- you can, snug fit. Yeah, either. as long as you are getting the pressures the kid needs on the ventilator and they're oxygenating fine and they're not in any, you yeah. know, distress afterwards, you're golden. The other thing with uh, LMAs or superglottic airways and all that kind of stuff, they're very rarely used in neonates. Mm-mm. I mean, it's. I know they talk about it in NRP. They talk about it in a couple other different courses and different literature, but I would venture to say I have never seen one floated. I've here. never put one in. Yeah. I may um, have either. Yeah. With any of our team members, we'll just bag them. It's a yeah. lot safer to bag them. It's a lot easier. And mainly because you throw that thing in there, it's trauma on the airway. It's trauma everything in the yeah. back, a posterior mm-hmm. orifice. Everything gets swollen and pushed and mm-hmm. moved. And and all that air, I mean, I know that's not the goal, but all that air is going in the stomach also. So you're eventually going to just be causing Cause yourself more, trouble. Yeah, causing them more respiratory stress. you got that abdomen pushing up on their, you know, into your diaphragm that's just going to cause more respiratory distress for them so but we do have it we do for those very occasional i mean yeah. you know i feel like we're just gonna jinx ourselves and now we're fixing to go when for you a talk really about something you never do <laughs> and here it comes but then i mean the facial anomalies though like a pierre robin or oh golly anything a yeah, bag fluff palate and lip that yeah. is in respiratory distress that you can't get intubated of course we'll do it and we do have it it's just rare it's rare to be that but we now use we've it. summoned it we have we know we've done it now. It. Um, real fast with NRP and the 8th edition updates, the only reason I wanted to bring this up is there's a couple of them that are big. Mm-hmm. Um, would y'all like to speak to those real fast? The Mainly the epi is my, my main big thing. Um, yeah, so with the epi, before it was like a range. You kind of do like a point, point oh one to point oh three. Now they say just go straight for the middle, so it's point, point oh two, which is point, what, point two mils per kilo. Mm-hmm. Um, makes the math the, so much trickier. It really does. Like it really does Just, make the math so much trickier in an emergency. But yeah, that's the math. That's really the only thing with the epi is just that kind of middle ground. Instead, you you always have that point one to point three. You can go up, but now they just straight start in the middle. Point point oh two milligrams is point two mils per kilo. Yeah. The other thing that changed is it used to be that chest compressions would come before the airway or intubating so if you so but they've switched that so now they want you to be intubated before you proceed to chest compressions now if you're in a place where you weren't prepared for this and you don't have your intubations yeah by all means don't do your chest compressions right do them but but if you're in the perfect situation where you have everything ready the idea is that if you get to that point of requiring chest compressions they would like for an airway first because they know that everybody these babies are respiratory driven you can control the respirations you're Usually, not going to get to a point. You don't have to get to the mm-hmm. point of, of chest compression. Yeah, so that was a so, major one that yeah, changed. Such a small percentage of babies actually need that full resuscitation like that, mm-hmm. the chest compressions and the epi. So, yeah, that's behind that is just getting that airway in, and you can turn them around, hopefully, before you ever have to do that. Mm-hmm. But it's hard just to sit there and watch, though. It is, it is. so hard. It is, because it feels like forever. It's really not, but it just feels like so long, and, like, you're not doing anything, but... It's really best. It's almost like time slows down. You go in oh. that matrix moment. Yeah, like, 100%. 100%. 100%. And with, like, because I'm telling you, a minute of bagging after you've intubated and that heart rate still just, I mean, it's climbing. It's going to climb. Yeah. Um, But if you started off with a heart rate of 30 and you see it just slowly improving and climbing, it's so hard not to still jump on it, on chest compressions while you're watching that improvement happen. Yeah. It is so hard. But 
again, if you're not in the perfect situation and you have to grab your stuff, do your test compressions. That's yeah. not going to add on. Yeah, don't ever withhold it just because, you know, you wasn't prepared. How does that phrase go? One and two and... Oh, Lord, help me. <laughs> the ADD in me has to say it. One and two and three and breathe. That's, That's your cadence for chest compressions coordinated with backing. Mm-hmm. It is important to be coordinated because if you're not, you know, if you're not coordinated, if Lauren's doing chest compressions and I'm bagging, depending on the pressures I'm using, the the compression she's using is going to overpower whatever PPV I'm giving. So I'm not going to be effective with my ventilation or vice versa. If she's kind of all over the place with her chest compressions and barely giving them. A, they're not going to be effective, and B, whatever I'm doing with bagging is going to overpower what she's doing. So being coordinated is really important. It is silly to have to say that, to say it out loud. I, oh, I still do it. I'm I do it every time. I have I to. mean, we just walked into a place the other day, and I said, oh, this is <laughs> like, it, but it's fair because there was chaos happening. So it's not a knock on these people, but you go in there and you kind of see the chaos and like everyone's kind of talking to each other and you see these chest compressions are going at a million beats per minute the bagging is not happening so you just walk in and you just if you just say it out loud people are like oh whoops i'm not doing it and so you just one and two and three and breathe and kind of once you see when you start doing that two people kind of just like everybody relaxes okay, everybody in the room again. is like okay now we're yeah. back on the same page yep. it's a good way to kind of like you said control the chaos yeah. bring everything back together yep. like yeah. all right this is what we're gonna do we're yeah. gonna do one and yeah. two and three and breathe yeah well because truly when you get to the point of a code like that it's so rare that these babies actually get to that point so whenever it does happen it's natural for chaos that's everywhere that's oh, yeah that's at your big centers that's at your smaller centers it's that's everywhere that's for us mm-hmm. you know if we're on a call and we get somewhere and we're expecting this well healthy baby and we get there and we didn't prepare ourselves and they code on us we're gonna be chaotic i mean that's human nature so it's yeah. not that at all is not a knock-on experience or no I've anything had to, i've had to do that to myself just bagging a baby mm-hmm. like oh slow up lauren breathe two, you've done three. that to me it just, you've done that to me yeah yeah both of y'all done it to me like hey all right hey slow it count down it. buddy oh, we'll it. pop a hand yeah we'll <laughs> pop a hand real quick man you're going too fast or slow it down <laughs> yeah we'll pop hands real quick I, I remember when me and brad we used to work together all the time and be like all right did you get hit today or no yeah yeah we'll pop you real quick <laughs> Ain't no shame in our game. <laughs> so when we talk about doing CPR, what just real fast, because a lot of people ask, what's viable and what's not viable? It's uh, not always everybody's favorite subject, but it's not. there's some of the things that have changed. Like when I first started with air care, it was 24 weeks, and there were some 23-weekers that magically made it, but it was, all right, if it's less than 24 weeks, this isn't happening. Yeah. What's everybody going towards now? Well, 23 weeks is truly where they say yes you're viable that's it but it's also based off of weight um some places it's less than 500 grams and be- or 500 grams and below they're going to call you non-viable but again it's kind of when you're on that borderline it's very tricky um we've we've had 22 weekers and we've had 22 weekers who have gone home on room air and peel feeding and fine so it's that that's kind of changing with the technology technology and um equipment that we have and just the education that we have with resuscitating these smaller babies now that's kind of evolved so it's moving closer to 22 weeks those babies are really hard to manage but I mean I'm not gonna lie if I had a child myself and it's a 22 weeker and he or she is 400 grams and breathing and trying I'm gonna say for me personally try I mean don't do anything heroic and don't code my baby for an hour but like if you can get that child intubated and have a pretty 
stable resuscitation, I think that's reasonable for that 22-week range and have it be right there on the borderline because then, because that's what we're seeing now. Now we're seeing these babies are surviving. If you've got the 22-weeker that's in arrest, it's basically stillborn almost. Um, I would let it be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, there's yeah. no need to go. Yeah, I mean, if they you come in and they're doing, like, nothing, they're delivered and that it's nothing and it's 22 weeks, you know, usually those are ones that are, we, they're just non-viable. Yeah. Now, if they're, you know, 22 in a couple of days and they come out and they have a respiratory effort and, you know, parents say, I'll try. Yeah. You, okay. you're, you bet. Yeah, yeah. yeah you respect yeah. what the parents want by all means. And I mean, and that is their child. So who am I to say at that point? I don't, that is yeah, it's tricky. It is. Tough. There's nothing that we enjoy about when we get to that stage, that, that pre-viable and I, that's everybody. I'm not going to say that's just me. And no, that's every, everybody. Out. Everybody I've talked to ever about it. It's it, it is the hardest thing ever because that is somebody's baby. Yeah. And that and is a f- lot of times like a yeah, very I mean, wanted baby. So it's, yeah, it's that, there ain't nothing easy about that. There's nothing easy about the comfort care. There's nothing no, like talking no. to no. mom and dad or, I mean, everything about it's challenging. Yeah, it's I think challenging. the best way to handle it in the perfect situation when you have all the time in the world which it never is. But if you ever do have a conversation with the family beforehand, if you can, what are your expectations? Here's what we know and help them just understand kind of what their situation is and then allow them to come to a decision with your assistance and then just respect that. I think, I mean, it is ultimately their child. So I think it's now again, a 21 weeker, unfortunately that's not going to be, but hope, I mean, who knows, maybe one day, technology is oh, always yes. changing. You, yeah, you ever, yeah. You we can figure out that bubble thing out years. of space yeah. where, like, they just sit there in an incubator and they yeah. would grow yeah. them and show them yeah. and everything else, and yeah. everything works out. Oh yeah, I mean, because you have not. How long have you been here? Like eight years. Seven. Yeah. Yeah, and so like in just that amount of time, it went from twenty-four weeks to twenty-two, and that I'm t- that is tons of babies. So who knows? I mean, I don't. We don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. We just need to do what we think is best, and mm, that's tricky. It's it's challenging. It's one of those, but that's why I want to bring it up. It's everybody always asks, like, mm-hmm. well, what do you do? What do you do? How do you handle it? This, that, and the other. And there, there's a lot to it. Yeah. But yeah. if they're 20 weeks, they're 20 weeks. Yeah. If they're 21 weeks, they're 21 weeks. If they're 22, okay, this is where the, that's the gray line. Yeah. yeah. Starts getting a little hairy there. Yeah, I wouldn't want to be the one who's in charge of making those oh. regulations. And thankfully, and again, I'm afraid that we are strumming this up again, but thankfully we're not put in that position very often. No. I mean, I know it happens, but we're not making that decision very often, thankfully, because that is, that's, there's, it's not easy. That is not an easy place to be in. On a little bit happier subject. Mm-hmm. So let's talk a little bit about stable. And the reason I want to talk about stable, it, for those of you who don't know, it's a course. It's wonderful. The 20 minutes after NRP or the, after the 10 minutes of mm-hmm. resuscitation, you get the mm-hmm. baby back, you've managed your airway, put them on CPAP. A lot of people have trouble with, okay, great. I have a baby. We resuscitated them. They were born. I've done my 10 minute APGARs. Everything's hunky dory. Now what? What What do we, when we start talking about stable, stable, I, I, I go back to it and I keep saying stable, 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 but honestly, it's what I use every day. Yeah. All right. So let's do the sugar. That's the first thing off the list. Is that something y'all use? Is that mm-hmm. a great mnemonic? What? Mm-hmm. We are big fans of stable. Yeah, it is a great way to be able to kind of just like organize your thoughts after now that this baby's come. Now what? Now, especially if you're in a place where the babies don't usually stay there. Stay, yeah. And you, you know you're, you know you have to ship them out somewhere. So, yeah. 
and the perfect world, they're gone right after the delivery, but sometimes things happen and yeah. transport's not available yeah. or... Ice storms, tornadoes, yes, hurricanes, all those things. Yes, and that going to be staying with you like eight hours, so yes. what do I do now? Yeah. Um, again, babies are simple. It really is simple. Mm-hmm. Stable. Um, it's a mnemonic, so the S in stable sugar. So as long as you're checking, I'm going to say, I'm going to err on the side of if you're born in a place that typically does not birth children, be that an ER or a car or a house or the side of the road, I'm going to say that's a place that a baby's not typically born. So just treat them as if they are hypoglycemic. I'm not saying do all the things, but check a sugar. I think definitely at least in the first like 30 minutes. Now, you don't have to check a sugar right after your five-minute outburst. Right. Let's sign. Give that baby. But just a give him a heel stick. Take a yeah. see what it is. All right. Cool. Am I yeah. above thirty? Am I not? Where yeah. Where do I sit? Yeah. And hypoglycemia for neonates is weird. They don't have like a definite number. Mm-mm. Some people will say forty. Perfect. Oh, that's too low. You know. Yeah. So it's kind of it's hairy. Usually, like anywhere from I don't know what stable saying now forty to I think they're going with forty five. Forty five. But, okay. but they say the same thing that they're they you know it's. There's no great literature because what is a baby's normal glucose supposed right. to be? Because every baby responds differently. Yeah. And I mean, you say, okay, 40 to 50, whatever, 45. One baby's glucose of 45 may not be the same as another one. So I've seen a baby with glucose of 40 and they're jittery and you can like, you're like, oh, this baby's hypoglycemic. I've seen another baby with a glucose of two looking at me like, what up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so like, it's hard. It's, yeah. I think we say that a lot. Every baby's different. Like mm-hmm. you just... 30 has always been my number because I know if 30, it's got to be a little bit low for somebody. Yeah. It's not enough for their brain to perfuse all the way in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also half of the adult 60. So yeah. I think of it, all right, they're not half the size, but they're little things. So 30 or up, great. Yeah, I would go with even 45, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. I yeah. think, well, especially because if you're in a place that doesn't have the things, err on the side of a little bit higher. Yeah. Because if you get it and it's like 35, you're like, oh, well, okay. So you're not up in you know, trying to do anything about it. You check it again later and then it's 10. Yeah, that's <laughs> so, not good. So I would, at least 45 kind of gives you some room too yeah. if it's a baby that can, you know. And stable works, I'll say stable works with stable babies also. You still have to check those sugars and do those things because your term baby who just delivered in an ER, um, you know, fine otherwise, they, they could have hypoglycemia too. So like stable is not just for the sick sick mm-hmm. ones that's a pretty good like basic um they have a higher metabolic like, rate they're going to burn through sugar yeah. real quick yeah, they don't yeah, have all yeah, the yeah. fat so yeah. make sure you check it how often are y'all checking on this it's to- totally stable baby everything's funky dory term kid whatever the perfect kid in the perfect world with first was in 30 minutes the second one what after an hour after two <sighs> hours even i mean honestly we don't we don't check them that often. A, a normal stable baby who you know mom wasn't a diabetic or mom doesn't have any of these risk factors that you would want to be looking for a hypoglycemia issue in the baby. Typically those babies we might get a admission glucose on them. Mm-hmm. But unless they are doing something weird, just feed them. Yeah. You know, if mom wants to breastfeed, let them put her, you know, the baby to breast whenever she wants to. Feed them every 3 hours or when they wake up for a bottle. Mm-hmm. And I mean Unless they're giving you some kind of clue that something's wrong here, we don't generally check Mm-mm. them on the the term well babies. Yeah, the mom. So some of the risk factors for mom, of course, are diabetes, but also hypertension. If a mom's on a beta blocker, that'll be a reason uh, to 
to follow. So beta blockers, and then if the babies are growth restricted, yeah, also. So that's what we're coming into knowing, just like the normal weights and sizes of babies when they're born. So growth restricted babies are at higher risk of hypoglycemia. But like she said, you can have zero risk factors and have and check your first sugar, and it's two. So I would check. I would check everybody. Yeah. But once, as long as it's normal. Yeah, it's normal, and it's a you know, baby that you can feed or that you can get fluids started on. Like if it's one of the smaller ones, you know, this baby can't take a bottle, start some fluids. Yeah. As far as just that kind of leads into glucose management. So for these kids, typically we're given D10. Yeah. We'll put some show notes on the wonderful thing that Emily made about how to mix glucose. But <laughs> that's a sensitive subject, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, but D10, dosing for D10 two per kilo yep that's unchanged mm -hmm. if you need to give it by all means give it mm -hmm. the other thing is maintenance so you talk about fluids so what are y'all's things on or what are y'all's i don't say protocols but what are yeah. y'all's fluid management like now maintenance yeah maintenance now um for your you know tar babies who are hypoglycemic whatever you it's usually around 80 per kilo um, for your smaller babies, you're going to kind of go up on that fluid, mm -hmm. um, 100 to 120 mils per kilo per day. Mills per kilo. Say that again. Mills per kilo per day. And it's either, so. most of the time it's D10 or D5. One sure. Uh, so, yeah, the littler babies are tricky because mm -hmm. they'll become super hyperglycemic. So we'll start them on D7.5. Mm -hmm. So anyone who's 28 weeks and below, you can get away with D7.5 at 100 per kilo per day. And then also for the boluses, that two mil per kilo, that's just an IV push yeah. at the site. But do not just give that bolus and not start. Not follow up. Yeah, maintenance. Yeah, yeah you've got to give that and give something, mm -hmm. some maintenance with it. you got to keep them there. Once you yes. get them up to where yep. you want them, you got to yep. keep you them don't there. Want them. Oh, they will rebound keep hard. Rebounding. Yep. Yeah. You can play this the up and down game all day. Yeah. yeah, but the... Um, and then after you do that, check a sugar. Some people wait an hour. Some people wait 30 minutes. Let's just say happy medium of 45 minutes yeah, if you must. Just recheck it. But definitely check it. <laughs> Don't just do that and hope everything's better because a lot of times you'll get these super hypoglycemic babies who are very resistant and they'll just sit there at 20 regardless of what you're doing to them. They will not budge. So don't just think, oh, I've checked it. I've treated it. I'm done here. Follow up. There's been a couple of those kids that you, you bring them back home. We go down there and fly down there. Oh, they're on D10 at 120 per day. And we're like, all right, by the time they're back here, they're on D15. Lauren just had one that's on D25. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they're, mm -hmm. which. Lucas too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would not budge. And the IV was in. <laughs> yes, we had multiple IVs, mm -hmm. actually. Working back to stable. So S is for sugar. Pretty uh, simple. Uh, T is probably. Temperature, we were that's that. my favorite one. <laughs> temperature, that's where shines. I, I won't say it's the most important, but it's right oh, there it's, Oh, it's so, so the most important. important. Yes, I'm going to so tell important. you, I have changed the way I practice. The T is temperature. It is in my ABCs. I go ABCT. Yes. I want temperature up there as important as airway. Yes, because you can do all that stuff, and if you have a cold baby, they're going to die. For lack of a better word, there's no yeah. pretty way to say it. There's no sugar coating it. There's no, oh, it's okay. His temperature's 90. No, it's not. And especially on the smaller babies, it is just, but it is because it is just not harped on. And I think if we kind of change the culture as making it as important as the airway and all that, then you can really improve the outcomes of these babies. You can run a perfect code on a 23 week or a perfect code. Everything goes beautifully. 
and then you go to check a temperature, it's 89, that baby goes very warm and they will decompensate and a lot of times die because of that. And I feel like temperature is something so easy to control. So easily. Yes, I know that I can pop you on a warmer. I know I can use a mattress. I know that I could put a hat on you. I know I can wrap plastic on you. I think as long as you put that in the forefront of your brain, you're going to improve your outcomes with these kids. It, it's just something we don't think about because it seems so silly. Right. Like, oh, a little hat yeah, for the grand baby. scheme of things, temperature, like, but yeah, yeah. It, it matters. It, like a big, it can make a huge difference. I can't tell you where kids, not necessarily neonates, but mm-hmm. the especially the older kids, mm-hmm. and we'll fly down there and they are, you know, we get this picture of their sickest knot and this, that, and the other, they walk in the door and their temp's 91, mm-hmm. literally stick them in the pizza box, put them in the isolate, put them on a mattress for a minute. Warm them up, and they're all, hey, what's up? I'm here. How well, that's doing? the ideal. Usually it's, hey, I'm dead now. <laughs> yeah. Yep, you warm them up, and their blood pressure Yeah, they phase up that late. Yeah, I mean, they just. They, they, and they, they don't compensate. They at that point. Yeah, they don't compensate effectively because they're yeah. new babies into this world, and then they get cold, and they're trying to uh, they're trying to regulate, and rewarming those kids is a, is. So it's not something we just rush into. You don't just throw them them in the oven and say, cook them. No, God, no. It's like a slow raising of their temperature. I mean, you know, we've got on transports where we're on the, you know, ground for three hours or so. And, you know, you might start getting a reasonable temperature at about the, you know, what, two hour, hour and and a half mark. And reasonable would be like 94. Yes, because like you said, you you warm these babies up and they vasodilate and they will turn on you. Mm Mm-hmm. Any any baby to me that's cold, um, y'all know I'm a pharmacology guy. Any baby that's cold to me, I've already thought out. I may not have mixed it, but I've mixed the epi infusion in my head. It's the only drug that's going to work. Um, every once in a while, dopamine, you can go to that. But if they're truly cold, I'm like hypothermic, like 88, 89, whatever, because dopamine's not going to work that cold. You're in your head, all right, well, if I'm going to warm them up and they start looking a little bit better and then they compensate and vasodilate, what in the back of my head am I going to use to counteract that? And fluids are usually the first choice. Everybody gives a bolus, right? Yeah, that'll kill. But the, the part of that, well, that's what I want to bring up. Oh, sugar coating it. Um, the the part of that I want to bring up is like you, well, people give a bolus, but they give a bolus. Where'd the fluids come from? They come out of the warmer? Well, even that. I, I mean, mean, so so those boluses, while they are cold like that, if you bolus them too fast, they're you're dealing with a baby who's vasodilating at that point. Well, hopefully it's slowly, but at that point they're vasodilating. Small babies have very friable blood vessels, very, very friable. Even if you're not giving a bolus, sometimes turning their heads too quickly can cause them to have a head bleed just with that change in pressure from the carotid. So if you give a bolus on a baby who is already very fragile because they're already cold and vasodilating and their blood pressure is very labile, and then you go ahead and switch the volume in that baby's body really quickly they will bleed they will a hundred percent bleed and what will happen is oh yeah well i got a great blood pressure for a minute but at what cost right yeah what, whatever what happened downstream yeah oh it's not worth it and so for us when we and we hit we hit this all the time because we do start warming and they do start getting warm with us and then their blood pressure start to come soft um, what we'll do is we'll still give that bolus over 30 minutes, sometimes an hour. Yeah, slow, just slow. If you have warm fluids, it's a great option, I feel yeah. like. Um, but yeah, slow is the key to all of, you yeah. know, most of it. But not microwave, don't put, oh, no, 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 mm-hmm. no, 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 no. Um, but then if you're still at that point where you need some presser, so actually for us, we will use dopamine. dopamine. Uh-huh. Um, but a lot of times 
I don't feel like we have a baby long enough. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like we give it enough time with the bolus that by the time we get to the point, okay, the bolus didn't work. Because you have got to let it work. Like, and again, oh, yeah. that's, you got to you yeah, actually you let it get on board. Yeah. yeah. Start piling all these things on no. top. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, what worked? And now yeah. you're on 20 of dopamine. You're like, uh. So <laughs> now what? Yeah. Another bolus or not? <laughs> like, <laughs> was it that or is it the dopamine? Yeah. You have to give those things time to to work to work with them i would even say after a bolus has gone in i would still wait 20 minutes still to see if your blood pressure is going to be better and like typically i mean you should be and close honestly, to getting home yeah and honestly if your heart rate you know they don't have this huge decrease in their heart rate or you know perfusion changes i might let that slide mm-hmm. that labile blood pressure i'm like okay i need to give you some time yeah because so. you just the switching their well, and they're getting a bolus on top of maintenance at this point. Yeah. I mean, so you're thinking about all the fluid they're getting. They're getting, yeah. you know, 100 per kilo per day mm-hmm. of D5 or D10. Mm-hmm. We're talking about small babies, probably, I don't know, whatever. D7 and a half. D7 and a half, and a half just because it's fun. Yep. Um, and, and then like they're getting this bolus over, yeah, over 30 minutes to an hour. Okay, cool. Like I said, in the back of my head, I've already, Epi is my go-to. That's just yeah. full disclosure. Well, but that's just... That's me. Yeah. It's in the back of my head. But what it does is it prompts me to think, okay, I need to stay on top of this. I have to, because it's, when I mix it or I'm doing it for neonates, it's on a piece of tape on my leg. Mm-hmm. And I pay it. So it's sitting there. All right. Well, I'll look it around. All right. What next? And I'll look down on my leg. And I'm like, all right. Well, I guess I have to pay attention to this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our dopamine's changing. I will say the use of dopamine is changing. It's still going to be the first for us. Um, we're kind of switching a little bit more towards norepi now. Which, you know, I think we talked about that. That makes like, me happy. I know I'm it not. does. I know it does. <laughs> I know it does. Yeah, because y'all have been asking us about that. I think that's the question that we get probably from adults and peds more often than not. Why yes. do you guys Why not do use norepi? Why don't you da 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 da? And it is just because it is. It's that leave a bad, leave a bad. It's the old literature that said the levofed was a bad drug and nobody wants to do, mm-hmm. go with it. And it takes time to change. You have to prove it. Yes. Right? And, and it's so hard to find research yeah. on. Like you'll find that like with anything with babies, it is so hard to find research on because who's gonna who's gonna play around with it. the baby? You well, know yeah, who's, like, gonna who's gonna stick the neck out and say, "Hey, yeah, okay, sure, yeah, I'm not kidding." When that. you know, it doesn't go. Yeah, has worked. Yeah, I mean, not without its risk, but it's worked for so many years. But now, da 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 da, Norepi's making a yep, appearance, making a comeback. But as far as using that, I'm not gonna make a recommendation on that part because I I'm not gonna lie to you, I don't know. I don't know. For so for right now, what we would do until told otherwise is low dose epi. Mm-hmm. No. No, no. Low dose dopamine, no, no. Dopamine, 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 dopamine. God, Will, you're disregard. You're <laughs> you are osmosising me. You're making me change. I wanna change you to epi, but it won't it no, it's low dose dopamine for neonates. Yeah. Again, epi is the back of my head simply because it's me and it makes me think code and it makes me think pressure. Yeah. But yeah, for um, us it is. But it's dope, low dose dopamine. Yeah. Four, five. It's usually like yeah, five. 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 Mm-hmm. Yep. But yeah, yeah. you're not gonna get much change with a two point five. But slow mm-hmm. and steady. Yes. The race. Okay, yep. so we've made it to T and stable temperature. Sum hey. it up. Cold babies don't like it. Let them be warm. Yes. Control it. That Put is... a hat on them. You can wrap them up in Saran wrap. Yeah. Or the fancy thing y'all have plastic bags plastic you can bags. use anything i mean you don't have to have the commercial no like we used an ambu bag bag before yeah yeah if you've pulled some equipment out of a plastic bag use i mean you know tear it open and use it wrap their body in it not their heads not wrap their body their in head. it put a hat on you're at mama's house you ain't got a hat grab a sock out of her drawer like something to keep that head covered keep that heat in mm-hmm. make sure they're dry 
Yeah. As not, best you can. And not tenfold. I've seen that happen. Don't Aww. wrap a baby in tinfoil. I've actually you, seen it. Unless um, you've got I've the good tinfoil like blankets that are made for that, but yeah, not the, the emergency blankets, not not just yeah, rentals not wrap. some Reynolds wrap not out of the bottom wrap. drawer in the kitchen. My little burrito from the Oh, all right, working down to the A and the B. A and the B. A is airway. Okay, we've already talked about the pretty bit. B is blood pressure. Blood pressure. Blood pressure. Yep. Uh, yeah, blood pressure. So we kind of talked about that. I mean. Normal saline is what we use, 10 mils per kilo per, uh, per bolus. Um, sometimes we'll do 20, depending on what the yeah, situation. situation. I mean, if you've got a baby who, you know, mom had placental abruption, there's some kind of big um, hypovolemic insult there, then you'll probably go with a higher um, higher rate for your, or higher dose for your yeah. saline bolus, but usually it's just 10 per kilo. Yeah. Babies less than 30 weeks go slow. Slow. Do not. I mean, it seems little. A 500 grammers, 10 per kilo is 5 cc's, a half of a flush. Like, that's nothing. Yeah. And when you say bolus to, like, adult people, you're like, ram it in. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> we have syringe pumps. We have pumps. Everything everything we do on in neonates goes on pump for yeah. the most part. Yeah. Um, so if you can give that bolus over 10, 15 minutes, 30 minutes for smaller babies, if, I mean, in the code... The yeah, the situation, but... yeah, is a little different, but still you still, just... you know, I think NRP says 10 to 15 minutes mm-hmm. in a code situation, but yeah, you're on the back end and you're just more stabilizing now. Take, I mean, take it slow. Take your time. They'll bleed. So what, bleed. so what is an oil blood pressure in any night? Ah, great question. <laughs> Wonderful question. Usually we try to have a mean blood pressure of around the gestational age. So I got a 34 weeker. My blood pressure means should be 34. Da, 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 da. Uh, 23 <laughs> weaker, mean blood pressure, da, 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 23. <laughs> um, so easy to remember. It is. I But again, don't hang up on that. Right. So if you've if got, you a, got a yeah, 36 or 35 weaker and his blood pressure is like mean of 30, uh, it's okay. okay. It's okay. If we don't have anything else pointing in like, oh man, this is baby's about to tank, then let it be. Let it be. Yeah. Diastolic give them, give of two is still bad. Oh, sure. don't love that. Don't the, the, ever love yeah, that. Yeah, don't love that. I, I remember one time we went somewhere, had to go for tangent. They were like, oh, well, the mean's 34, and it was like a 32-week or something, but the diastolic was two, and they repeated, and it's still like two, three, four. I am like, impressed by the blood pressures that the Zoll picks up. Ooh, Can I just say that? Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah. you know, Shout out Zoll. monitors, like, <laughs> it just be question marks, and you're like, oh, man, that thing will pick up a diastolic of... Seven, seven, seven. Yeah. like you're like, whoa. I'd rather see the question the, marks. <laughs> you have to pull the dynamaps out, you know, yeah. to get blood pressures that way. Yeah, no. I'd rather have the question marks than the means of seven. Please, I don't, no one wants to see that. No. So we talked about dopamine. We talked about <laughs> we talked about boluses. Yeah. Slow, slow, slow. That's a big slow thing. Slow and steady. So sugar temperature, airway, L, labs, blood pressure, labs. Everybody loves labs. Um. Okay. So Stable talks about labs with the CBC and kind of um, watching out for infection. Uh, CBC is great to have on babies who are born um, in places that they shouldn't have been born and if you have got risk factors for infection. So I'm not saying every baby needs to be on antibiotics and all that too, but if you're getting lab work, go ahead and just grab a CBC too to get a good baseline. What's great about that is the same thing with adults. You can see whether or not babies are showing signs of infections with the CBC. For us, it's not necessarily the white count. Um, babies will have elevated white counts right after delivery anyways because the stress of being born is so much on their bodies. What we look at is the differential and for all the immature cells. So that's kind of what's with stable. They're looking at with the labs and the immature cells. 
and whether or not there's been a shift there. Mainly for us, lab work that we like is a blood gas. Everybody makes fun of us for that, but we love a blood gas on these babies. It's so telling. It really is. Because a baby, like Lauren said, you'll have a baby just looking at you smiling with a terrible, god-awful blood gas. They they are fine until they are not fine. Yep. And so blood gas is a great way to get clues. So if you're sticking a baby for a blood culture, because a lot of times they'll art stick. Uh, some people will art stick and um, for a blood culture, but they won't get a gas. Just grab a gas if your yeah. baby's on respiratory. Especially, yeah, you have any kind of respiratory modes in place on these babies, get a gas. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like a good baseline. Same as the CBC is a good baseline to have just mm-hmm. to kind of know where you're going with where you are. And especially if the baby's had uh, a neuro hit. So you may even have a very stable baby respiratory-wise, but if mom's abrupted and the APGARs were low, but he's kind of turning around, get a gas then too, because that'll show you a good metabolic um, clues that can maybe help us further on with the care of the baby. So blood gases are really important. Cap gas, venous gas, art gas. All the gases. All the gases. I mean, mean, uh, art gas is like gold. uh, Yeah, but I mean... They're hard. Yeah, they are. If you get a good IV that's draining and you try once for an art gas, just stick with the venous. That's, just, I mean. Yeah. I oh, and it's hard to pull back lab work from our uh, IVs, too. Yeah, our catheters are so small, they're so they small. collapse. It's hard to get blood out of there. I'm going to say, even if you've had trouble getting that IV, don't mess with it and pull back blood on it. Yeah, you don't want to mess up your IV. And the likelihood of it actually pulling back like that is so low because that catheter is so teeny tiny. Yeah. Um, cap gases are fine. Yeah. I mean, you just know that. Depending on your technique, it may be a little bit skewed. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you heel stick a baby, it is the pad of the foot on the heel. On the heel yeah. um, a lot of times we'll say finger stick just out of habit, like a finger stick sugar. I mean, that's what everybody says, but it's not a finger stick on the baby. Yeah. So, yeah, the heel of the foot is where you're shooting for with blood work. But, yeah, that's really it with the lab work part of it. I mean, of course, it goes into more detail, but the nuts and bolts of it is labs are important for us. I mean, in transport, a lot of times we get in the mode of scoop and go and let's just get back. But, you know, you really can do a lot of great things to improve the care of the baby if you do get some baseline labs and get some care started on the front end versus delaying it. Yeah. All right. We've got through everybody else but E. Emotional support. I mean, the main thing with that is just being empathetic of the family yeah. of that situation. So that kind of goes back to that viability discussion empathetic and honesty yeah oh 100 percent. and and that yeah we're taking the care of this patient but this patient is somebody's little baby that they just birthed and they had been anticipating hopefully waiting for nine months sometimes less and a lot of times we're scooping up this child and leaving and not even giving them a second to see this child so i think you know that may be the only time they see their baby alive so i mean i can't spend hours with the with these families but i think you know really remembering that this baby is a part of someone's family and that you've got to have respect for that you've got to respect their wishes you've got to i don't know and it really does help with bonding with the child too i think you know like if they've never seen this child and then they're laid up in this hospital hours away for two or three more days they miss those key moments in that baby's life for those first two or three days they get there this baby may or may not be doing well and if it's not doing well You've never really connected with this child. The baby may or may not pass away. And then, like, I just can't imagine what they... I I, ugh. I can't imagine how they feel during that situation. So I think what's really important, and I think that goes for any patient we transport, if there is family around or if there is anybody around that is a part of this patient's life, you should 
take a second and just make take, sure. Take the two minutes and yeah. explain, hey, this is what's going on. This is where we're yeah. going. Y'all do an awesome job with this. I, I mean, I'll, I'll brag on y'all as a team. Every one of y'all takes it two seconds, whether we can or cannot. Yeah. I mean, I I remember me and Warren did one a long time ago that was, we literally couldn't. We didn't have the gas. We were on nitric. You were on every little thing. And we're like, all right, look, we got to ruin the aircraft in the first place. We're on the coast. I know. I know. And, <laughs> yep. and we're, so you went and talked to mom and explained everything. And then I went back and I'm like, all right, look, we're going to wheel this in here. Literally just do a drive around, yep. right around the bed. Just mm-hmm. come right through by the bed and right out. But, but taking that two seconds can make a big difference in mm-hmm. their day and make a difference in the family's day and every, everybody in the room, not just mom or dad, but mm-hmm. grandparents, yeah. cousins, aunts, whatever. Yeah. It's a scary situation. I mean, you know, babies. I think, you know, you don't, a lot of times, I didn't know anything about sick babies until you start working in the NICU. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. You get, you know, nursing school, paramedic school, whatever, you know, you do, you get like all these adult and, you know, thing diseases and you get this little splash of babies thrown in there mm-hmm. where you kind of hit weeks. on. A solid two weeks. Here you yeah, go. you hit yeah. on like the more common things, but just a little bit, just so you know enough. And then when you start working with these babies, you're like, whoa, what? There's... They can do that? <laughs> like, Oh yeah, it's, it's scary. It's insane. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's literally on the job training. Like, yep. And so unless you know, I mean, otherwise we're walking in and you've got this isolate with all these things beeping and you've got a ventilator and you've got all these things it's connected scary. to this child. That is terrifying for yeah. a person who hasn't had the, the ability to see this every day. So even like, you know, you pick up, we go all over the state of Mississippi and you pick up patients, you know, babies and their parents are physicians or mm-hmm. MPs or nurses mm-hmm. or what have you. And they're like, you know, high quality ER, ICU, really, really smart people. And they're like, I don't have a clue. Yeah. Yeah. Like, can you explain this to me? Yeah. And it, but taking that two seconds to yeah. explain it can really make a difference mm-hmm. in and you may not know the answers. You know, mm-hmm. they, they want to know exactly what's going on. And sometimes, yeah, these sometimes babies, we don't know. We don't yeah. know. But, you know, at least letting them see their baby and letting them or at least giving them the information you do know. And just, I don't know. I just, I can't imagine being in their situation. But E is emotional support. That is yeah. it. I mean, it really is important. And, we, you know, you kind of make fun of that part of Sable. It's like, okay, yeah, we're talking like, about sugar, airway, da 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 Yeah. Emotional support. But emotional support is important. It is important. Because, I mean, that's someone's child or loved one and someone's baby. And uh, I don't know. You've got to remember that that part Mm -hmm. is is just as important. And it seems silly to talk about when you're talking about intubating and you're talking about blood pressure management and you're talking about all that. But this may be the only time they see this little baby alive. Yeah. Moving on kind of there. We hit a couple other things I wanted to talk about, but vent and bagging mm-hmm. because they're so important and there's make such a big these kids are all airway driven so if you do it right it's great if you do it wrong um they get catheters in their chest and it's a fun day or they get hypotensive and they have thoracic pressure or they big things with me i wanted to talk about real quick how likely are y'all to put an og tube in somebody an og yeah oh yeah very likely every every one of them yeah, almost. yeah you gotta decompress that abdomen mm-hmm um, so it's something about for those of you pre-hospital, do you have an OG tube the right size? Do you have one available? Or even small ERs, do you have the right size? Eight French, five French, whatever it may be. But if you're having really trouble bagging a kid, think about, well, maybe I need to decompress a stomach and that's yeah. a simple thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think we talked about that for the second earlier, but that'll play a big role, that abdominal distension. I mean, push up on that diaphragm and just, you're just making your respiratory issue worse. So yeah, that's mm-hmm. a big, that's a big thing to 
be mindful of. And you're not really thinking about it in the moment where you're trying to bag a kid because you're bagging a baby. You This is not how you wanted your Tuesday to go. So, <laughs> you know, that's not one of those things that are at the front of your mind, like temperature. But that's it really will help you out and help that baby do a little bit better. Um, as far as bagging kids, manometers. Oh, love a manometer. Yes. Get a manometer. Get a manometer. Get a manometer. Get a manometer. So what pressures, we talked about how kids are driven by pressure and it's all about pressure when bagging a kid. What pressures are y'all shooting for? 20 over 5. Mm-hmm. 20 over 5. Um, that's good baseline. Yeah. Uh, the smaller babies, you of course. Is that can... a total pressure of 20? Just to clarify that. Total pressure of 20. P-I-P-20. Yes. Okay. Smaller babies, of course, can get away with less, 18 over 5. And if you're using a T-piece resuscitator, you can set that on the nose and do 18 over 5. It is hard to hit exact pressures when you're bagging. Yeah, it is, but you can get, um, you know. But if you're kind of mindful, okay, I've got a 23-weeker who maybe doesn't need 20 over 5. Mm-hmm. So then once you're starting off with that 20 over 5 and you're watching that chest rise, you can maybe back off a little bit and go less. Yeah. Sometimes you're fine with 15 over 5, but, you know, just a baseline start. On every baby, we start off at about 20 over 5 and kind yeah, of just go from just there. judge from there. If you've got crazy chest rise, back off. You don't have much, add just a little bit more. And not like, mm-hmm. don't go up crazy on your pressures, just one or two, and then see where we are. You know, because you're likely to pop a pneumo, and then that's a whole nother no, whole, whole bag. <laughs> whole, whole other problem there. Yeah. Real fast, because a lot of people, if you've never given surfactant before, mm. and it's a miracle drug. my magic it's drug, magi- magical. If you've never gear in, given surfactant, bagging surfactant in. My favorite. Mm-hmm. Talk talk me through it real fast. So surfactant is a wonderful drug. It is one of those that you can see work, and yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. Um. So when you're given surfactant down your ET tube, your number one thing is you want to get an X-ray. Like, yes. Preach, preach, preach. You know, preach. you don't check for placement with an X-ray, but you check for depth. So we're looking to make sure that we're not right main stemmed because you give all that cure surf down your right main stem you've not done anything you know so you fix the right there's the left yeah, over but here this is just really gonna totally really, yeah. really gonna make you sad yeah number one get that chest x-ray make sure you got good good placement and um usually we warm warm cure surf when you give it it's good to have an ex, you know an extra hand with you somebody who can give it and someone who can bag it in so whenever you you know sometimes the volume can be big depending on how big your baby is because mm-hmm. it's like 2.5 mils per kilo of CuraSurf that we give. So sometimes your volumes can get a little big, so you might have to give it like an aliquots. But um, yeah, get you a friend at the bedside and one of you give it. You know, usually they say head and midline. Some people like to turn them left or right. Usually midline's going to be your best bet. Slow um, side breaths. So just a long breath and long just inspiratory a, phase, just, mm-hmm. just slowly mm-hmm. in there. Yep, just mm-hmm. like a side breath. And couple of those you can you know if you have more to give you can do that not pop them back on the ventilator give them a few minutes and you can just watch that if sats come up and that fio2 go down it is magic it's magic to watch that like, is it's my so favorite cool. drug to give yes and watch your pressures afterwards because you usually can wean your pressures because they get so much more compliant yes um you, you can start wean your ventilator. Yeah. Really you start at uh-huh. 24 or something something ridiculous hey i can't get this baby to ventilate i can't get him to oxygenate uh I remember one man you did they were on 28 over something 28 over mm-hmm. 6 or 28 over 8 mm-hmm. and we're like this is not good and, and their so, chest wasn't even moving then. no they were just 
So we gave us fact and all, but uh, we're we're down to eighteen over five, and yeah. we're chilling. And go slow with it, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like by the time we're back home, it's like all right, everything's hunky dory. Well, I thought yeah. this baby. No, he just, just needs some surf. Just need a little. Needed some surfactant. Yeah, just make sure that after you do that, you try to wean if the baby responds well. Now, if he doesn't respond well, don't be like, hey, I gave surfactant. Yeah, I gave everything's surfactant gone. So I can go to twenty one percent and no pressure. Yeah, no, go slow <laughs> with no. your go weaning if you're able. If you see that chest rise improve, or if you're able to get a gas and see that okay, now I'm overventilating, make your changes. Yeah. Because they will change quick. Like Lauren said, it's a magic it drug. Is. It's awesome to watch. That and nitric, my favorite. Mm-hmm. and vecuronium but that is just because you can immediately see it happen i don't love it otherwise but i just do love the immediate like oh that works i'll spare you all the nitric conversation we can we can do that on a different yeah, day that's a whole nother that's a, whole that's other a day world. that's a podcast that's uh, a uh, dissertation <laughs> it's a series mm-hmm. real fast about transport considerations because a lot of people don't understand what we do yeah. they don't they don't understand okay why do you fly why do you drive why is there an in 18 what does isolate do all these you know that that fancy pizza box what the heck does it do talk a little bit about transport what makes you go fly what makes you drive what what's important considerations y'all have as far as making those decisions or making making the transports happen every day well i think one of the things you asked about, like, why do we exist, essentially? Like, why is a neonate team necessary? And I think it's just because we're, we deal with such a specific population that, you know, you can get all the education. And I think it's great to provide that education. I think everybody should know what we do. I think that everybody should. But, you know, unless you're doing it every single day or that is the only patient that you focus on, I don't know if you'll necessarily be as... I don't mean to say that we're like experts in the field by any means, but like I just I think having a specialty team work on that specialty really is important for this that patient subset. I think mm-hmm. I mean like it's just because a lot of the things that we see is not stuff that is in textbooks or anything like that. Is because oh I've taken care of this baby X Y and Z many times and I've seen how they react to this, so I know that in theory that this one should react the same way, or this is not going to work because I've seen blah 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 happen. So I think that's what's important about having a neonatal team. But again, not necessarily that we have to like hold all of our information and we don't want other people to know it because I want everybody to know it. But I think that's why we exist at least and or why, because it is just such a specialized specialized mm-hmm. set of patients that it is just unless you get to do it every day, I don't know. I mean, it's we, how long have we been doing this? Ten, I know over 10 years. Mm-hmm. And there's still patients that make me so uncomfortable. Uh, I'm going to tell you every time I pay for like every time we get toned out. Oh, is, yeah, you still get like. Nervous. The rush of, yep, the rush of, oh my gosh, what is this one yes. going to be? like? Yeah, and so I think with us and if we're still feeling that way, I can't imagine not doing a patient like ours every single day and then being thrown into, oh, go get this baby who's got blah, blah, blah happening and feeling confident in it. You know, I think with us, we feel we have some level of confidence because we know the basics, but as far as feeling like every little weird disease process it presents it's you're never going to learn it all right it's no all, it's all it's constant no, learning process you learn so don't, something new yeah, every single every trip day. so yeah. for and that's a specialized I, I just i can't imagine knowing all the things that everyone else has to know about with adults or with peds and then on top of that being really confident in the neonate side um because they're so different the baby the baby side of it is like weird little science like it is anything you learn in nursing school or paramedic school or med school is completely opposite in kids yep or babies. But okay, so that's why we do that. Um, what else did you ask? What flying and driving? Oh, What's what go for it? I don't know. I don't wanna say preference, but <laughs> down down the street we're probably gonna drive. Let's just Oh yeah, yeah. you look in yeah, you kinda look at everything. Distance, you know, what's going on with the baby. 
what kind of facility the baby's in. Mm-hmm. If you've got this super sick kid, but it's at this hospital that's an hour, hour and a half away with a neonatologist, you know, you're less likely to be like, oh my gosh, we've got to fly there. Like, we've got to get there right now. Unless it's something like surgical. Those are ones that we kind <clears> of <throat> want to get back pretty quickly. Anything that's surgical abdomen, heart defects, you know, cooling kids. ECMO. Yeah, ECMO, things like that. You want to, you know, we try to fly those when weather permit, but otherwise we just really, it's a couple of things that we look at, just how the kid's doing, who they're with, where they're at, so. Yeah, it's, you know, it's always sexier to fly. Do you know, like, everybody yeah. thinks, oh, you're on the... Oh, that it's so cool that you... Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's cooler. It's, it's on not. The, it's it's not. and it's... <laughs> well, well, yeah, personally, it's not. It's hot. I, I get sick. Yep. Um, but the babies, a lot of times, don't tolerate don't it. Like it. And yeah. so, I mean, you got to take that into consideration. Yeah. Some it, babies do great. They just pass out. They fall asleep. Oh, this yeah. is, like, yeah. the best chill ride yes. in the world. Yeah, and also, I mean, you got to think about what kind of day it is. Are we IFR? Are we BFR? Is this, this baby that's got a, you know... Uh, perforated abdomen yeah. is not going to like being at a higher altitude that's going to almost kill that baby mm-hmm. so like those are things that you have to take in consideration too yeah they need to get back but we want them back alive that's part of what i want to talk about even those the respiratory kids that are on nitric that you can't get their sats up their sats are holding in the 60s or 70s yeah. no matter what we're doing and yeah. it's like this kid probably needs ecmo or something yeah. there's something going on here that we can't immediately fix we've all the surfactant things and all the things and that altitude change going from you know 100 feet off of a pad to 1500 feet mm-hmm. that yeah. Their sats drop 15, 20 percent. They can't they can't tolerate it. Yeah. Lauren and I just had that baby like two or three weeks ago. It was a nitric 100 percent sick baby. And, you know, we had the option to fly. Yeah. But we elected not to um, because the weather, it was it was terrible out. Um, We could have flew, but we knew it was going to be turbulent. We knew that we'd have to be. at a higher altitude and that baby now you put yourself in the situation now i've got to manage that baby for maybe an additional hour or so but if you kind of weigh your risks and benefits with that okay Mm -hmm. we've got the equipment to do that we've got the skill and the knowledge to do that yeah it's longer and you're technically making more work for yourself because you're with the patient longer but does it the baby does better it's going to be better and that baby did really well with us Mm -hmm. he did really really well and so i think there's a lot of reasons why we will fly or drive but Sometimes it is just kind of intuition and mm-hmm. personal feeling about what you think the baby's going to do. Now, sometimes we get it dead wrong. We get it so dead wrong. You, well, you I was, get I, I oh, you say, feel so bad. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was going to put a plug in here for Medcom because yeah. Medcom helps kind of coordinate all oh, they this do stuff a great on, the, job, yeah. on the backside yeah. of it. But, like, if you guys get somewhere by ground and you're like, uh-uh, not happening, send me an aircraft. Yeah. And it will send whether it's one or two three four yeah. any, anybody well, with an isolate yeah and then vice versa they're like yeah. oh my god this baby is so bad you got to get here you got to get here we get there and you're like he's sucking on his really? passy he wants a bottle yeah you're like what you just took this aircraft away from somebody who could have needed it yeah but, sometimes so it we get it wrong both ways yeah, yeah we yeah. get it wrong sometimes but you know you just or they tell you you know it's whatever diagnosis you're like oh i know that's going to be bad so let's go and you get there and you're like We've been bamboozled. Bamboozled. <laughs> but at the same time, it's it's all based off resources, what you got yeah. available. And it yeah. Maybe the right thing. Or there's been plenty of times we've done 
four or five neonates in a day yeah. Oh, yeah. out of here. And it's just like, all right, the reason we're flying is just we have the volume. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and we just physically cannot do it. with. And, you know, I think with us, where we're different from other programs, you know, some places are dedicated peds neo teams. And I think what is important to know, like just with our program, we're not. And so, you know, if we – I don't hate to, I hate to say the word like misuse our resources, uh, but if we aren't quite right with why we decide to fly for our situation, so I mean we joke about it, but like if I get up three hours away and I've used that helicopter for an hour, well, three hours drive, but an hour whatever, I'm saving time by getting there. But in the meantime, when I get there, the baby's stuck in on its passy and doesn't necessarily right. need me. And then there was a ten car pile up here or somewhere where, where that, aircraft that aircraft could have been could utilized. Be used, yeah. Then it's like, shoot, I just took away that resource from those people. So we do think about that part of it too, but that is kind of a difference with us. We don't have our own helicopter, so that is something that we do take into consideration that we, we've got to be just mindful and, and cautious of that as well. So that's something that we consider too. You know, we really do try to get it right mm -hmm. when we when we utilize the aircraft, but you know, everybody looks at us and they think, oh, you fly, it's awesome, da, da, da. It's, it ain't that simple. Yeah, there's there's a, there's a lot of stuff that goes in the background about mm -hmm. what's going on with it. Whether it could be simple things like, hey, this kid I know Pease does it. They have they have a vapotherm, and yeah. they like to use it for high flow for their asthmatic oh, they do kids. Great. They're, they're, that's and they like their kids. And they're like, hey, I mean, we do high flow in the airframe too. But yeah. if it, if a kid is the the worst case scenario, kind of get off subject. But if you have an autistic kid that's an asthmatic, yeah. Autistic kids in an airframe are very challenging. Oh, I can't oh, yeah. imagine. So if you can get them in an ambulance where yeah. they can have mom next to them and they can kind of be a little less stimulated, yeah. and then they're on top of that, they have a vapotherm available. I mean, oh, that vapotherm is a game changer. For it them. really for, is. So it's, again, there's a lot more that goes in the transport world, a lot more decisions about flying, driving, mm -hmm. what have you, what's going on with mm -hmm. them. The isolate. Somebody's uh, coming. It's just a how we're how, getting there. Yeah, how we're how getting we there. Get we there. may get there real quick and come back real slow, or yep. get there kind of slow and come back real quick. Yeah. yeah. But somebody, somebody is coming some way. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you for sitting down. Oh yeah. Shameless plug. I'm gonna get y'all to do it again on some other things, but oh, we we'll, we'll spare you the nitric today. A whole podcast series. Yeah. A whole Emily, series. Lauren, Will, and Nitric. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Appreciate your time. Thank you guys. Thank Thanks, you. Buddy. This has been a presentation of Blue Crew Medicine.